You are listening to the Passion City Church Podcast. To learn more about Passion City Church, including our gathering times in Atlanta and Washington, D.C., visit us online at passioncitychurch.com. Today's talk comes from Pastor Ben Stewart. It's a continuation of a series entitled Worthy. All right. Well, howdy, Passion City. Y'all doing all right? Sorry, that was Texas coming out of me. I didn't... Just howdy, came leaping out, but it's uh, good to see you guys. If you have a Bible, we are in the book of Ephesians. If you don't, don't stress about it. I'm going to read to you from it, but we're in Ephesians chapter two. We've been working through a series together called Worthy. Uh, Like Christian was saying, we we worship all the time. We sing all the time here. And you go, why? Well, because the human machine is built to ascribe worth to things. We do it all the time. Uh, if a team wins, we cheer for them. Why? You're like, they are worthy of my cheering, right? Uh, there are people who believe that the cheap seats right now at a hockey game are worthy of $800 or something crazy. Did you hear about this? Man, so I'm gonna be watching the Capitals on TV. But we, our money, our time, our energy, our voice, we declare what's worthy to us. And so we're talking about a series where God is worthy of us celebrating him with our money, with our lives, with our energy, with all of it. And so that's what we're doing. And we're doing it in the book of Ephesians. So if you got one, let me read to you from Ephesians chapter two. Uh, and while you're turning around, let me just say a couple other things. We've got some special guests here. My, my in-laws are here today, everybody. So the fam made it. So glad they're here. Uh, and the first pastor who ever hired me, Ken Werlein's in the house too. Uh, the guy who took a chance. And uh, it's awesome. So it's, uh, it's fun to be here together. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11 uh, says this. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you at one time were separated from Christ alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace And he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, your fellow citizens with the saints, members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by his spirit. Let me pray for us. God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for everybody in this place, God. Whether they've been here with us every single week or are just here visiting in town, whether they've been journeying long with you and love you, God, or whether they're not sure what to think about you or any of this, wherever people are coming from, wherever we find ourselves, thank you, God, for this space to talk about you, to look at your word and see what it says about our interactions with one another. And and my prayer, God, is that as a result of this time, we would be different not just individually different, but we as a community would be different. God, I'm praying for a unity to break out. 
a love among humanity that is so uncommon and rare and attractive that the world would want to lean in and see. And that's going to take a miracle. And so that's why we're talking to you. And I want to ask all of you, if you're willing to take a minute and you ask him, say, God, please, please teach us this morning. And then if you would, please pray for me that the Lord would speak through me and I'd be helpful to you. Well, Father, we love you and we trust you. Use this time and we pray that in Jesus' name, amen. Well, I'm reading a fascinating biography right now on Abraham Lincoln. Uh, it's amazing the things you have time for when you try to reduce the time you look at a screen. Uh, was convicted by my own sermon a few weeks ago. So I'm reading a biography on Abraham Lincoln, and it's been fascinating looking at his life in the early days of his presidency and just trying to imagine what it would be like to be in those days. Like back then, anyone could just walk into the White House. Like you didn't even need to put, you just, no, you just walk in. Be like, hey, I got a question. Like people could just hang out. People slept there. People would be like, I'm gonna crash downstairs. Is that cool? Like that was a thing. I'm just imagining what was that like? The, the Washington Monument was halfway built. And I just go, man, what, what was it like to live in Washington in those days? And I'm reading about it now and I'm at the point where it's just right on the front edge of his presidency and you're looking around the country in that day and there was deep divides in the country about economic well-being, there was political disunity, there was ethnic inequality problems and I found myself wondering, what is that like? A divide in the country based on socioeconomics, politics and ethnicity. What is it like to live in an America like that? It's not that hard to imagine, is it? It's the world we live in. And, and the Washington Post just put out a year ago, they, they did a study and in the survey, 71% of people they surveyed said the political divides in our country have reached dangerous levels. I heard a speaker a few weeks ago here talking about the deep divides in America philosophically and that there's such a difference in their bases that they're almost irreconcilable. And he was talking about the loss of trust and the erosion of confidence in one another around America. And he was comparing it to empires in the past that crumbled. And the whole time he's talking, they were all leaning on the edge of our seats like, so what's the answer, man? What's the answer? And uh, he ran out of time. And so at the end of it, we were like, what was that? We're like, was this a diagnosis and you were about to tell us a cure or was this an autopsy of like, and this is how America died. And we're like, well, what did I just sit through? But you sit in that and you go, man, there really are significant forces at play ripping at the social fabric in our country. And at this point, it's interesting because I could start to zoom in on specific ones and really get specific, but I want to zoom out for a minute because we have real substantial modern current issues in our country. But if you pull the lens back, there's something fascinating about humanity that woven deeply into us is the propensity to segment off. We find some people that dress like us, talk like us, eat like us, have similar assumptions and values as us, and we congregate with those people and we call them us. It's comfortable to be with us. We like us. But when we get an us, there's always a them. Every time we form an us, there's a them, the people who don't talk like us, don't dress like us, don't smell like us, have a different set of priorities than us, have a belief about the world that I don't even understand why they do that over there. And we just tend to move into us's and them's. And it gets to a place where I'm comfortable with these people. I'm not with these. So if I showed up at a party and it was a bunch of them's, I got to get out of here. 
And I text my friend, dude, I just showed up this place with a bunch of them, so I gotta get back to us and y'all are not gonna believe what just happened. And we tend to do that. People we're comfortable with and people we aren't. And you see, the world does this and we break up in some harmless ways. You're in a chess club, you're in a golf club, congratulations. Or we begin to break up along political lines, ethnic lines, and we begin to break in those ways. And often what can happen if you look at the history of humanity is what happens. The further we get apart and the less I understand you, the less I I, I even touch down with what you're thinking, a, a loss of empathy means a loss of civility. We begin to talk less kindly to one another. And if you look at the history of humanity, you see when there's a loss of empathy, there's a loss of civility. And when there's a loss of civility, there's often the birth of hostility that if I dehumanize you, I can be inhumane to you. And look around the world today. Pull the lens back and see all over the world that wars have broken out because one tribe's against another, one faction against another, one set of views goes to war physically against another set of views. The us's and them's in our world is a human problem. Now, here's the thing. I can talk about it geopolitically. And we all nod like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But let's bring it home because it lands in us. We are this way. We do this. Even in the church, we do this. I remember I visited with a friend, uh, his seminary, you know, where you study to become a minister. And I remember visiting him in a seminary and we walked in this classroom and we were the first two people there for this class. And as we walk in, the whole room is before us, but we sit in the two seats in the back right corner, right by the door where everyone's gonna come in and they're gonna have to like walk around us awkwardly. And so we sit there and I'm like, why are we sitting over here? Why don't we just go in the room? He's like, no, this is good, man. I'm like, no, why don't you just like step into the room? Like we're in everybody's way. And he's like, no, we're good, man. And I'm like, uh, okay. And so as people start filing in the room, my buddy is uh, visiting with certain people. How's it going? How the kid? La, la, la. They're all talking, hanging out. And then other people are filing in that are sitting on the other side of the room. And as it goes along, they're all visiting and they're all visiting. And you realize there is like a divide right down the center of the room. And I figured it out after a few minutes. There's two kinds of people who go to seminary. There's the theology people. And they go there because they want to study the Bible and they want to be exacting about it. I want to learn the Greek and I want to learn the Hebrew and I want to be specific, right? And then there's the counselor types that feel and want to help you process your feelings, right? And what happened was the room broke hard on those lines. And it was a theology class. So the prof was teaching different theological concepts and this side of the room was asking questions like, uh, is that verb in the hiffle stem? Is that a present active indicative? All right, And this is all very specific. And this side of the class, I remember one point was like, do you think Paul is like repressing something when he wrote that? And it was all real feeling. And as soon as they did that, it was amazing because on this side of the room, you would watch them physically move. Like roll their eyes like, you'd hear some of them groan. You would hear the chairs squeak like they couldn't even handle being in the room with a question like that. Like, come on, man. And you just saw there's division. And I'm like, y'all better figure out how to get along because they're going to preach sermons to you for the rest of your life, and you're going to go to them to process your unresolved issues with your dad. So y'all are going to meet. You just better do it now. But you realize, even in something innocuous or seemingly unified, as people going into ministry full-time, we still divide into us and them. And I could pick a lot of more uh, dramatic and hurtful and painful us's and them's. We all know about this. The world tends to do this. It's in the world, and it's in us. And let me bring it into this room. My concern is how do churches die? How does a church die? The the light of the gospel goes out, the difference they make in a community. No one plants a dead church. No church that you see on a street corner begins with people going, 
I mean, I guess we'll be a church or whatever. No one starts there. They start with the belief God is real. God can change lives. God can unite a community. God can change a culture. They start with belief, but then what happens? As we move together, we're like, well, I don't understand those people. Why do they get to do this? Well, that group seems to be, those people always get to, well, these people are like this. Well, I don't understand that guy. Well, I'm going to sit over here because I don't like the way they're worshiping over there. And you see what usually happens in a church is not some external force rips it apart. It gets ripped apart in the inside because what's supposed to be one house gets divided and a house divided is not going to stand. And so we need to figure this out. How is it possible if the world is dividing like this along ethnic lines, political lines, philosophical lines, if we are all dividing and the divisiveness is getting uglier, what's the answer? What's the answer for the world today? What's fascinating, where we are in the book of Ephesians, in chapter two, at the very front of it, he's talking about our reconciliation with God, that when you come to Jesus, you're okay with God. You can leave that moment after I put my faith in Jesus, I can know that me and God are cool, that heaven smiles on me. The marvel of Ephesians 2, 1 through 10 is we've been reconciled to God. And yet it's not just this spiritual transaction individually. As Ephesians 2 keeps going, it starts talking about corporate implications The work of Jesus is so powerful, it cannot just reconcile individuals to God, it can reconcile even us to each other. God is in the business of taking formerly disparate parties and making them friends. And in this section, Paul picks the two groups with the most animosity, the Jews and the Gentiles. And he says, now let me wade into a conversation that's honestly a little scary. Let's talk about some of the divides among us, right? And he gets into it in verse 11. He says, therefore, remember at one time you, he's talking to a group of people, you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you at one time were separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. He starts in verse 11 and says, remember. It's the first command in the book of Ephesians, by the way. It's the only command in the first three chapters. Three chapters of a six-chapter book go by, and there's no commands for us except this one to remember. Why? Because before we ever do the work of the gospel, the gospel doesn't work on us. That God works first, and as a result of that, we work because we're his workmanship, right? And so the first three chapters are all about this is what God is doing on our behalf in Jesus. But he calls them, in that context, I want you to remember you Gentiles. Now, Gentile is a, a translation of the Greek word ethne, Uh, It's where we get ethnic from. And so what he's talking about here is they would use it as a term to mean everybody that's not a Jew. So that would be a majority of uh, people in this room, I would imagine. So he looks and he says, I want to remember that you at one time, Gentile in the flesh, and that's in the flesh talking about your physical ethnic nature. He was saying there were ethnic boundaries between the Jew and the rest of the nations. You're separated ethnically. But then he moves along and he says, and this separation had hostility. There was name calling. They called you the uncircumcision. And you go, well, that's some next level name calling. What? I mean, that just feels bizarre. Like where? This took an odd turn. Why call them that? Why call yourself the circumcision? That's even weirder. Well, <laughs> what they're getting at there is a lot of cultures practice circumcision, but for the Jewish people in the book of Genesis, it was a a symbol God had given their father Abraham to show you have a covenant relationship with me. You're close to me. 
And so it was a, a picture of we've been set apart for God. And they were meant to be a people who, who also had a circumcised heart, is what the Bible would say, that, that my heart is close to God. And they were meant to be a connection point between God and the rest of the nations. They were supposed to be a people who stepped out to help others with this privileged position. But as you often know, when you're in a privileged position, rather than leveraging it to help people, you can just sort of enjoy it and want to sit in it. And so rather than helping the nations who didn't know God, they start calling them names. You're the uncircumcision. And what they mean by that is God doesn't like you as much. God likes us more than you. That's what that means. And yet Paul can't even move on before he just says, they're the so-called circumcision. And then he says, but it's in the flesh made by hands. And some of you go, uh, yeah, that feels like an unnecessary detail. Like who's circumcising people without the use of their hands? I don't even want to think about the mechanics of that. Like, what are you talking about, Paul? Well, he says it's made in the flesh, meaning they were meant to have a heart that was set apart for God. And God's problem was you guys got real good at the externals of religion, but your heart's cold. And by saying it's done by hands, we don't have time to go into this, but all through the Bible, when that statement is used, by hands, it's used of something being built that is contra the heart of God. And what he's saying is there's also religious barriers here. There's a group of people that got the religious externals right, and they're judging those who don't. It's the church kids versus the kids that were growing up on the street somewhere else. And there's a religious divide. Do you see it? And it's ugly. It's name-calling, and then Paul moves back around to it and says, but hey, those of you who were outside this community, there was real loss out there. He says five things. One, you were separated from Christ. That doesn't mean these people knew Christ, but the word Christ, Messiah, was one they were looking forward to. When you were one of God's people, you knew a king is coming to get us. The world's broken, but we're waiting for a Messiah. They had that hope. You didn't have that hope. He says, you're alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. In the Old Testament, God built this nation together and said, hey, I'm going to meet with you. You're going to be my people. These people weren't a part of that. He said, so you had no hope of a king. You were not part of God's people. He says, you were strangers to the covenants of promise. God promised these people he's going to take care of them. You got no promises. And so you had no hope. You were just out here in the world, twisting in the wind, trying to figure out what life's about. That's who you were. You were without hope and you were without God in the world. You did not know God. But then he says, but now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. That's the good news. The good news of last, work, last week was we were all dead and God made us alive. The good news of this week is you were far off and God brought you near. The imagery he's using here would be sort of like an orphanage. So imagine, if you will, that there's some kids living in an orphanage. And imagine one of them, the headmaster of the orphanage, comes up and says, hey, I got some good news for you. There's a family, and they chose you. And they're coming to get you. And here's the deal. They're working on the paperwork. Here's the paperwork. Here's their signature on it. Here's a photo of them. And they're coming to get you. And they're figuring that out. And they've written you a letter. Here's a letter expressing their heart for you. You got their legal intent. And you got their heartbeat for you. You got a photo of them. And you got a date. They are coming. And they're going to get you. And you are loved. What does that do to that kid? Even if they're in a difficult zone, they know someone's coming for me. Somebody loves me. Somebody's coming to get me. I have parents. And I am going home. That fills you with a hope, even in the midst of hard circumstances. Now, imagine there's another kid there. Nobody picked them. And they're getting older, and no parent wrote them a letter, no legal documents coming, nobody's telling them how much you love you, sending you a photo. You are just out here. Good luck. 
Now imagine the parents show up and they come and said, we're here just like we promised. We made it. And they look at the one boy and say, get over here. It's time to go home. And they pick him up in their arms. And then imagine they look over you and say, and you're coming too. What? We talking about how many paperwork? I know, but I'm taking you home too. But I wasn't living in the promises for months and months and months. I know, but I paid for you too. I'm not even going to be somebody that had this expectation. I don't even know what the rules are. I'm not even sure I'm supposed to dress. I know and don't care. I want you too. And that's what God's doing. He's taking two formerly disparate parties and he's bringing them together and making them friends. And he says, he himself is our peace, not just peace internally. He's like, he's our peace among us. These two kids are brought together. He is our peace who has made us both one and broke down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. He says, you were far off and God brought you near. And in doing that, where you were formerly enemies, that power of God to make a family has broken down the hostility between you. And he is making formerly hostility into family. That's what God's doing in Jesus' name. And the picture they use, you go, why does he mention a wall? I need a, I had some uh, uh, people, I was going, oh, there they are, Chizzy, Peter, can you come up here for a second? Chizzy and Peter, everybody. All right. All right, who wants to be, who wants to be a Jew? Who wants to be a Gentile? It's up to you. You're, you're a Jew, Peter. Oh, you're sitting okay. Right here. okay, all right, all right. So Jew, Gentile, wall of hostility. You ready? Come on, bring it out. Not getting along, don't understand you, don't dress the same, don't talk the same, different backgrounds, all that kind of stuff. And so the Bible says there is a wall of hostility. Wow, that is between them. That's why you tape it, folks. Um, Why does Paul use this wall imagery? Because in the temple, in the Old Testament and in Jesus's day, there was a wall in the temple. And as you walked up to know God, the Jews got to walk right up close to God. Didn't get to get all the way over there, just come on, but you got to be closer. But there was a wall, and if you were the ethne, if you were the nations, you weren't allowed past this wall. You don't get to be that close to God, because you're not, right? And what's fascinating about it is they had a name for these people, they had a name for these people. Your name was far off. God doesn't know you, you don't know him, you're living your life. And the cool thing about it is what God says is not just far off gets to come in the temple. It says far off, can you, can I, yeah, yeah, come on, Um, gets brought near by the grace of Jesus. She didn't do all the stuff he was doing. She didn't grow up where he grew up, but now God has taken the far off and brought him near and he broke down the wall of hostility. Now people hear that though, and I imagine they're like, well, Ben, that sounds really neat, but the hostility is real. You go, I got some church people who really hurt me. So you know what? You're talking about how easy that is, but the reality is, in our day, can you hold up the hostility for a second? Yeah. <laughs> Say, hey, in our day, there's, there's still hostility. There's hostility ethnically. There's hostility socially. There's, I feel judged by you church people. And some of you, I don't understand you church people. I don't understand those people. Or they get to come in doing that. There's all kinds of judgment going on. And the reality is some people go, well, Ben, that's all well and good that you say, Jesus broke it down. Now, isn't Jesus great? Jesus just pushed over that wall. And you're like, well, Ben, that's wonderful. But how does that work? Because I still feel a lot of anger and I even feel it in churches. So how does that work? What this text says is how did he do it? 
by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. What's he saying there? There's real barriers. There's real issues between us. There's real misunderstanding and real hurt that needs to be confessed, processed, and dealt with across all kinds of lines. But what's the seedbed for these people to even want to get along? It says, here's what God does. God takes the two. This is what he says. Jesus takes the two of them. Can you all come here for a second? And he walks them up to a real barrier. He says, that barrier is substantial. Let me introduce you to your real problem. Your real problem is your separation from God. That's the real problem. Human beings are so far from who they're meant to be under God, the Bible calls you an enemy of God. That's your bigger reconciliation problem. And both of you have this problem. You have this problem because you've been out doing something with your friends. I don't know what you've been doing, right? And you have this problem, why? Because the Old Testament say the laws and ordinances and all that stuff, it says that stuff was never meant to make you right with God in the Old Testament. It wasn't. That's why in the Old Testament, you get the book of Exodus, all the laws of God, and then you get the book of Leviticus, which is the book of sacrifice. It's, okay, when you break all these laws, here's how we still sort of have a relationship till Jesus comes up. That's the book of Leviticus. If you've never read it, that's it in summary, right? that God knew you were going to break it. I'm reading devotionally in the book of Deuteronomy right now. The first time they got the law from Moses, the people said, all that is written, we will do. And God said, oh, that you had such a heart. God's like, you can't do this. You don't even want to. You're a mess. The law was not a ladder to get you to God. The law was an x-ray to show you you're broken. That's what it was. When I broke my leg, my femur in half, I remember they showed me the x-ray, and he was like, you see this right here? I'm like, yeah. He's like, see this other part over here? Yeah. Those are both your femur. They're meant to, uh, meant to be touching. And he said, this is very not good. And uh, what he didn't say was, so let's x-ray it a few times, and you'll be fine. Because x-rays don't heal people. They show you you're broken. And the Bible will say, all this stuff you were doing externally was valuable. You got to read the Bible. You got to know some things. It's good to grow up in church. But that doesn't save you. It doesn't make you Okay. The book of Galatians called the law the pedagogue to lead you to Christ. A pedagogue was an old person that would grab you by the neck and make sure you made it to school. Isn't that a great? It's like the law was to show you, you were a mess. Get over here, right? And it's meant to lead you to Christ. And some of you go, well, where is this going? Where it's going is when you both realize you did a lot of work you didn't do. You made decisions and he judged you and you were less judgmental and you diff had different strengths, different problems, and you had hostility. But when you realize you're both alike and that you're guilty... How do you get past this wall? It says Jesus broke down this hostility. How did he do it? Through his cross. That a Jesus who was perfect didn't have a barrier, but he stepped across it. And he took on the life we were meant to live, and he lived it. And he took on the punishment we were supposed to be punished by, and he absorbed it. And it says, that's why he took the two of you. Can we grab hands one more time? Uh, he took the two of you and made you one man, and that one new man he reconciled to God through that cross. And when you realize both of us, I like that, uh, both of us <laughs> got here by grace alone, that humility is the seedbed of our unity. Do you see that? 
When you realize it is only grace that got me here, you can't be judgmental. When you realize it's only the kindness of God that got me here, you can't be entitled. You realize both of us don't deserve to be here. We got here by grace. That is so amazing. And when that lands on you, that humility becomes the seedbed of our unity. That's why God is worthy of our praise, because he's breaking down barriers by the blood of Jesus to God, and it's even powerful enough to unite us in Jesus' name. Amen? Yeah? Thank you all for coming up here. Chizzy and Peter, by the way, guys. Thanks, bro. <laughs> Impressed into service, right? Um, I remember for me, a couple of me, I remember showing up at an, uh, an addiction meeting like an, uh, and, and getting to sit in, and it was amazing to watch the humility among people who were rich, wealthy, successful, poor, homeless, could sit around the same table and it wasn't judgmental. They weren't focused on their differences. They were focused on the fact that they were all addicted and couldn't solve it themselves. All my money couldn't solve it. My crazy life couldn't bring me the peace I wanted. Both of them realized we are alike in trouble and we are like needy. And you saw people who were as far apart socially as possible come together. Why? Because humility brings unity. I remember for me, one of the first times I led a communion moment at a church, it was uh, Ken, made me do it. And the way we did it at the church uh, there was you would have people come and you would hold a piece of bread and they would break off a piece of bread and you'd say the body of Christ is broken for you. And they would dip it in this grape juice and you'd say the blood of Christ was shed for you and then you'd eat it. That's not how I grew up. I grew up going to church and we didn't break off big pieces of bread and we didn't uh, dip them in grape juice. And I was like, why are we eating wet bread? The way I grew up is someone passes around this little cracker about this big, very thin, and you hold it, and then they give you this little cup, and then you turn inward to not look at anybody. You're just like, y'all aren't even here right now. It's just me and God and this, and I do this and this, and I don't look at you uh, until it's time to stack all the cups, and we do it together. And uh, that was it. So I was like, you're going to have us come down front? People have to get up and walk? What is this? And he was like, yeah, and you're going to be the bread guy, and when you hold the bread, you say the body of Christ is broken for you, and down people come. And I was like, ah, you know, I guess this is not ethically wrong. I'll just give it a shot. It's just weird, that's all. And, uh, but I decided to do it. And I remember I stood up there, and as soon as I stood up there, Jack Walker comes walking down. Jack Walker was, I don't even know how old at that point, 80? And he walks down, and Jack was like one of those stalwart men of the faith, like did prison ministry his whole life, and just one of those people that you're like, you are so holy and good and right. And he walked up, and I had to say to him, the body of Christ was broken for you. This is what it took to make Jack okay. And he broke it off and said amen, and he walked away. And then the next guy came up, and I knew that guy. He had just gotten out of prison. He was trying to get his life together, trying to stay off drugs. But he walked up, and I'm like, the body of Christ was broken for you, brother. Little girl walked up. Not what got me, because I'm like, the body of Christ was broken for you. Oh, my gosh. You know, and then on it went. Socioeconomic backgrounds, ethnic backgrounds, all different kinds of backgrounds, all coming to the level ground at the foot of the cross because we all need grace. And when we realize we all need grace, suddenly that humility becomes the seedbed of unity. When I'm humble, I can come in listening and not lecturing. When I'm humble, I can come in with empathy and not entitlement. When I'm humble, I don't come in to talk bad about people. I come in to speak life to people. When I'm humble, I don't come in with a critical spirit. I come in with a contributing one. And that will build a beautiful church. 
when we realize Jesus purchased for us level ground, regardless of your background, regardless how goody two-shoes you were or how messed up you were, doesn't matter, regardless of wherever you might have come from in life, we all have to kneel at the foot of a Jesus who's turning enemies into friends. And if he's turning hostility into family, then I am gonna join him in that work. So I had a privilege the other day of attending a meeting here in town, this group of pastors that invited me. I'm one of the new pastors on the block, and they invited me to this meeting, and I walked right in, and it was pastors that had been in the city for decades, and then guys like me who'd been here for weeks and months. There was, I mean, from 70s down to 30s, there was black and white, and there was all different manner of places and neighborhoods in the city, different denominations, but we all got together, and it was one of the more powerful things I'd ever been a part of because I was talking with the guy who ran it, and I'm like, how did this happen? He's like, you know, people complain about unity, and we're not unified, and the church is not unified, and finally I got to the point where I was like, I'm going to quit complaining about it. I'm going to do something about it. He said, you know what we did? We cooked breakfast because people like breakfast. He said, and it's that simple sometimes. We sat, and we had breakfast, and we listened to each other, and there was a humility in the room It wasn't just sitting and listening to the older men talk, although that was critical and we wanted that. There was even moments for younger men to speak and talk about some of the issues with millennials and younger, and it was just this humility, pervasive. Why? Because we all knew we were there by grace. We all knew we didn't deserve to be there. But man, it was a beautiful, unifying moment because we go, I can hear and I can understand why, because I'm coming and listening. Uh, I have been looking at this map probably every day. Can we get the map up there? No, maybe. Oh, it's over there. Look, thanks. Appreciate the heads up, guys. Uh, where were you? Um, this is a map the Washington Post put out on, of Washington, D.C. And uh, I don't know if you can read the little key at the bottom, but it's a demographics map. The blue is black people. The red is white people. The yellow is Hispanic. The green is Asian. Uh, and uh, there's a purple that I don't remember and can't see, but uh, what's that? Oh, there it is, multi okay, and then Native American, yeah. Um, So you just pull that up right away, and you go, there's a story here. There's a story here I want to understand, and I'll be honest with you, I don't. I know bits and pieces. I know some of the broader conversation about how things like this happen. But as I'm moving into the city, I'm like, I understand there's, there's a story here I don't get. And so what am I going to do? I'm going to come in listening. And I'm going to come in learning. And I'm going to come in with empathy. And I'm going to come in with a posture that says, help me understand how we got here. Help me understand how we all feel. And help me understand how we can move forward as a community. But the grounds for that pursuit of unity is the humility of knowing we are all at the foot of the cross together. And one of the things I'm most grateful for in life is brothers and sisters who are from different ethnic backgrounds than me helping me understand. It's something I had to ask God for. Somebody speak into my ignorance, please. And so some of you hear this and you go, well, Ben, you're making it sound so easy. Will it be easy? No. No, it won't be easy. There's so much animosity, even preparing to talk about this talk, and we're not even getting that deep on different issues, whatever, but even preparing to it, I was like, okay, let's go hopscotch through a minefield, shall we? Like, here's a great way 
to hurt some feelings. But here's the thing. Read the New Testament. When you read the New Testament, every time the message of Jesus crossed a cultural barrier, there was friction. And it started socially at one point. It was even between Jews. It was just the Jews that were Jerusalem Jews and the Jews that were more Greek Jews. It was just Jews that had lived in a different part of the world and dressed differently. And the one group was like not giving bread to the other group. And the apostles had to come in and be like, hey, look, even ground at the foot of the cross, give their widows some bread. What's the matter with you? All right, and they just kind of had to work it out even across that line. Then someone went to the Samaritans who were half Jewish. And other people were like, is that legal? Can we do that? And you're like, yes, Jesus purchased that group too. And they're like, oh, all right, that's cool. And then they began to move to people that weren't even a little bit Jewish. And they had all kinds of conversations about that. Well, what do they have to do? Do they suddenly have to become Jews or do they not? And how do we work this out? And there was friction at every level. You had the apostle Paul having to stand up at a dinner and call Peter out because Peter used to sit with everybody, but when his Jewish brother showed up, he started only sitting with them and not with the non-Jews. And Paul had to stand up and be like, hey, Peter, what are you doing? You used to hang with all of us. You're not being consistent with the good news of Jesus. That's what he said to him. This is inconsistent with our message. Jesus purchased all of us, took the two and made us one. And what he bound together, don't you separate, right? And so that's the ground we come to. And yet some of you hear this and you're like, well, Ben, this is so motivational, but here's the thing. Um, Unity is a huge hassle. It is so much easier to be with the us's. You know what I mean? Like that's just in the world. Like people that talk like me, look like me, act like me, it's just so much easier to be with the us's. I like being with us. And so if you're saying how to, let's understand people from different backgrounds, let's hang out together and figure all this out. That sounds like a lot of work. Why would I do that, right? Why would I go into that? Well, it's interesting. He looks at the implications here, and he says, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but your fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. I love that. He says, you were strangers. That's the same word as tourist. He says, but now you're fellow citizens. When you came to Christ, you were a tourist. Now you're a local. He says, you were an alien. And I love this. If I can geek out about Greek, the word alien is the word house and the word para, like alongside. So there was a house, and you weren't in it. You were like over there. He says, so you were alongside the house, and now he says, you're in the house. You are in the house of God, members of the household of God. God is building a house, and he's put you in it, so you need to figure out how to live together. I've got three kids, and I remember when Sparrow was born, our daughter, The moment she came into the world, there were things that were true of her. She was my daughter forever, knit together with me, part of my DNA, forever loved and cherished by me. Her life was bound to my life. She had a vertical connection with father that would never pass away. But in that same moment, she was instantly sister because Hannah was already born. So in the same way, she was connected vertically with father. She was connected horizontally with sister. And they weren't separate like she has a relationship with me and she has a relationship with me. We're bound together that we all have a relationship together. So it's interesting because you go, the church is the same way. 
that we tend to focus on Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, where individually I'm connected to God and individually you're connected to God. And it's all about our individual relationship with God. And even in moments like this, we kind of worship that way. I'm here and I'm here to worship God and I'm here to have my spiritual moment, like for me spiritually to get filled up. And you happen to be doing the same thing in the same room because this is where the band is, but I don't really need to hang out with you. So I'm having my spiritual moment and you have your spiritual moment and I'm just going to be worshiping God, audience of one, just me and you. It's only you and me here now, only you and me here now. And you're like, wait, no, there's a lot of other people. I can hear them, but let me pretend like they're not here because I'm having a spiritual moment. And if you want to have a spiritual moment, that's fine. But can you do it one seat over? Because I kind of like armrests when I'm worshiping the Lord, or I want to be able to ride, and I don't want to touch your elbow. So if you can have your spiritual moment like a seat over, then I'll have my spiritual moment over here. Or let me hurry up and get to a booth where I can ride. And if someone else got it, we're like, you know, and like that kind of thing. And we're like, man, I just want to do my moment, not your moment. But here's the thing. It doesn't work that way. God says, I've built a family and your relationship with me is intimately tethered to your relationship with us. The greatest thing my daughters can do for, my, for me is get along. <laughs> the greatest way to honor me is to love each other. I remember when they were little kids and their, my older daughter, Hannah, her favorite toy in the bathtub was Scuba Dave. And I remember the moment when she took Scuba Dave and went, here, Sparrow, and let her play with him. I was like, what just happened to Wallace? How did, I'm like, that's so crazy. That's like peace in the Middle East, crazy. You're like, how did you do it? That's unbelievable. Thrilled my heart to see them get along, right? And so for you saying, I want my spiritual moment, you have yours, that's not how it works. God has built a family. And let me tell you this, the grounds of our unity is humility. Nobody's better than anybody else. But the goal of our unity is glory. It's grounded my humility. I don't deserve to be here. Neither do you. Can you believe we got in here? But the goal, why we press in, even when it's challenging sometimes, is for glory. Because it glorifies God when we get along, right? I thought of it this way. Let's see if it makes sense. Imagine if there's a song that came out in the world and it landed in the news. And I started to tell you about it. There's this song that is uniting white people all around the country. From Akron, Ohio, all the way down to Daytona Beach. The white people love it. You would say, okay, congrats. Is it polka? What is it? But if I came to you and said, there is a song that just came out and people from all different cultures and colors and languages and ages are uniting around this song. Everyone's downloading this song. It's a global phenomenon. What happens in you? You think, I want to hear that song. Why? The song gets more glory because of the unity. Do you see it? Unity brings glory. If it's uniting people, I want to know what that's about. And this is what's beautiful. Paul switches the metaphor and he says, it's not just that you've been, both been brought into the house. He switches and says, and you are the house. In verse 21, he says, this whole structure, when it's joined together, grows into a temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. He says, you are the structure. And when we are built together, we become a temple. 
And when we become that temple, we are the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. Yes, you have him in you individually when you trust Christ, but we as a community. Have you ever had people come into a space and they go, man, it's like the presence of God was in that room. It's like the Spirit of God was in that room. What's that about? It's not about the room. Well, the Spirit of God was looking where to go. And he's like, you know, the amenities are nice over here. It's close to a metro. No, it's when the people of God who've been saved by the grace of God, say for the glory of God, I'm going to love us and we're going to work through differences and we're going to listen and we're going to care and we're going to walk together. When that happens, it brings glory and people will come in and say, what else could bring y'all together? What could unite a people like this? What could unite a community like this? There's no other community that looks like this. What could possibly do this? And you say, Jesus, Jesus gets more glory when we get along. Jesus gets more praise from the world when they see us love each other. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Why are you beholding him? Because I got drawn to him because I was like, I got to know what links people together like that. And it's him. When my daughter was little bitty, I remember we bought her these blocks. And when she was just learning to build, she separated out all the colors and built with just one color. And it was nice. It wasn't anything spectacular. And I left the room, was doing something else. When I came back, it was funny because she's like three. And I came back and suddenly the tower was taller than her, like substantially. Like, how did you do that? Like the physics of that, the mechanics of how your little stumpy body was like, and then we'll get this up here. I'm like, you don't even have that kind of dexterity. And so I'm walking in, I'm like, this tower is unbelievable. What on earth? And you go, how did it get so big? Because she brought all the colors together. It's more powerful together than apart. You see that? First church I ever worked at, coming out of college, uh, hired by Ken. I remember he, I got in that room and there were people on staff, there were people in the church from different denominations. And there were a lot of churches that were dividing on that. People from different economic strata, people from different ethnic backgrounds and lives and communities. And I looked at this church, and particularly at that time, some of the denominational friction, I was like, man, this is kind of wild. And, and I remember someone asking me about this church because we had grown up in kind of the same sort of tribe. And he was like, why aren't you with you know, us? And I said, I'm at this church. And I was like, I'll be honest with you. I said, we've knit together all these people from different backgrounds, and it feels like we've just marshaled together a bunch of powder that if you light a fuse, this could really blow up in our face. You know, you're like, this is a grand experiment that could go sideways quick. I said, so this is either a huge combustible thing or it's going to be a picture of heaven. It's going to be a beautiful picture of what the glory of God purchases on this earth what Jesus bought for us, a kingdom from every tribe and every tongue and every nation. And when Jesus built his inner 12, I love this about him. He picked a zealot and he picked a tax collector. He picked someone who worked for the government and someone who was committed to overthrowing the government. And they were in his inner 12. Can you imagine what that moment was like? I want you part of my team. Thanks, Jesus. I'm so glad. That, no, 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 no. They don't get in. Oh, yes, they do. And so do you. Can you believe it? That's what's crazier. 
and I'm going to bring y'all together. So when the world sees that different political parties worshiping together, I get that all the time in here. What kind of church is this? I'm like, what do you mean? What kind of church is this? Jesus. You know how I get it the most from, and I need to stop right now, but you know how I get it the most from? People come up to me all the time, and they're like, is this church for everybody? I've been asked that question several times. Is this church for everybody? And I'm like, what does that mean? Is this church for everybody? And you know who asked me that? Old people. Because they go, I see all these young people in here, and I'm just wondering if this church is for everybody. And I'm like, that is, one, so adorable, and two, so sad. I'm like, yes, it's for everybody. Yes, you're welcome here. Yeah, the music's going to be loud, but just turn down your hearing aid and get in here, because the young people want you, and we want you. And this place is for everybody. And does that mean we're going to have some conversations? Does that mean I'm going to need some help and we're all going to need some help? Yeah. But if we come humbly at the foot of the cross and we have in our eyes, it brings glory to God for us to get along, this is going to be pretty powerful, this experiment. And I'm excited about the days ahead. Let me pray for us. If you were encouraged by today's talk and believe it would be uplifting to others, then be sure to rate us and hit subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you stream your podcasts. To experience other talks, videos, and live gatherings, visit us online at passioncitychurch.com or download the Passion Movement app. And again, thanks for listening to the Passion City Church Podcast.